I feel personally attacked that you don't have a lock on your phone. You want me to put a lock on my phone? Yes, put a lock on your phone. <laughs> Can I tell you the funniest thing about this? I have my passwords on my phone. <laughs> I can't keep track of okay. it. This conversation's <laughs> over. Oh my god. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris, I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friend, Trisha in LA. The one and only best friend you know. Oh, that's going to cause some consternation amongst the listeners. I used to have two best friends <laughs> on this podcast. I, I Okay, down to one. There Elimination podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Who's next? Vote who you want to see go next. I'm just kidding. They'd all vote me. Everyone's team, Trisha. I know. I know, America. I get it. She's more popular than me. She always has been. Uh, how so are you? Weird. So weird. So it's, weird. It's weird. A black woman being more popular than oh, the black male? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, please. Uh, I'm good. I'm actually pretty good. I'm wide awake. Um, my body woke itself <laughs> up at 6 o'clock this morning. Uh, not for this podcast, but because um, wow. Roger Federer is returning to the tennis tour. And I guess my body was like, time for you to wake up and watch some tennis. <laughs> I thought of you. So I saw Ocean's 8 and Anna Wintour is in it. Yes. In this one scene where she can't be bothered to be distracted by what's going on in the scene because she's watching Roger Federer. <laughs> and I thought of you. <laughs> no way. It was really funny. Yeah. I it's heard like, this, Anna, I heard we have this meeting coming up. And she's like, yes, yes, whatever. Because it's like, Roger Federer is on the court. Oh my god, I love it. I also heard that um Serena and Maria Sharapova are in it. Oh, that's right. Serena isn't in it looking fabulous. Of course. It's a great movie. Next time you're on a plane, watch Ocean's Eight. Not a not a (laughs) low-key media recommendation. But it's perfect. It's perfect for a plane ride, let me just say. You know what Um, it sounds perfect for? When it shows up on TBS. Hello. (laughs) TBS. Is that a thing? Yes. It's a thing still, right? Yep. Oh my gosh. I spent I will the not weekend be paying to see that, but go ahead. I spent my weekend with my family, who I love dearly. It's just um <laughs> it's you know after you know what I mean? It's just after a little while you're kind of like I love and I you know you're a controlling just, bastard, you need to I, go home. Not, oh, I'm not. I'm not. It's just I love you, and I, I, I'm going to go home now. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. No, but I love my family, uh, and I know that they listen. So <laughs> I love my family, and it was uh, the right time to go home. Both those things can be true. Yes? Yes. Done. That's all. Very much so, because I apparently you love me, and you could barely travel with me. So Oh, that's not true. That's what are you talking about? <laughs> We we have to have a we have to have a trip conversation. We've never had a trip because I know how no, you are about we trips. Went, we went when to San we, Diego together. When was that? <laughs> I don't know, like two thousand when was ten, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. <laughs> Comic Con, right? Comic Con in San Diego was great. First of all, I think we trip well together because we're both on the same tip. Isn't that funny? Right? Don't think about that. You're now a traveling freak and i'm a traveling freak and we've not traveled out of the country together we should try that one we should absolutely do it i think it's great listen you know my deal like 
traveling to another country, it's just like hanging out with someone in another country. It's like <laughs> you make a schedule, you make a plan to meet up. You can do different stuff during the day. You don't have to see each other every day. You just come together, just like if you lived in that city. So oh that's God, the way I do it. That's such a loser way to travel. That's like First of all, that's not a loser way of traveling. When you have to do everything lockstep with someone, you end up hating each other. Because it's like, I don't want to see tapestries in some <laughs> old-ass castle. But then you're sitting there bored to death. He's <laughs> in tapestries. Listen, traveling together offers the, uh, you an opportunity to um, to live vicariously through the other person. So it's no, like, I don't, I don't I want to necessarily. I know. I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> want to see this, but I'm going to see this with you. And I won't, I um, promise I won't bitch and moan. And then you might end up being charmed by the experience. Mm-mm, mm-mm. You know what? I, I'm the age I'm at. I know exactly who I am and what I like, <laughs> what I wouldn't like. I'm good. Which is, a, which is let me let me let me distill that for you audience i'm gonna do whatever the hell i want <laughs> the hell with you here's my schedule Meet me here. <laughs> i don't see the problem you really don't head through every, every, everyone should get what they want like i just it's completely possible like okay well you want to go see, go to this museum of, I don't know, like <laughs> pasta? Enjoy. Like, I'm going to take a Alone together. Like, I get it. Alone together. <laughs> I feel like in this segment, I'm coming off sounding like an asshole. And I swear to God, if I listen I back to this and I do, I'm editing the whole thing out. It's I, okay. I don't think I'm, it's okay. I didn't encourage that. In for, I didn't encourage that at all. I simply asked. <laughs> yes, but you're being very smug about it now. So I feel like. I'm telling you, I'm getting with it. No. Extremely no, smug. I, no, you know what? Let me, let me give you, let me give you a pass. I have traveled with many people in the past and you're quite right. Um, traveling together is a real tricky beast because there is, there is a point in time where I just don't want to do every single thing like you're doing. <laughs> I remember once. Hello. I remember once I was trying. I was traveling with someone I, after like three or four days of getting up really early and just being like a tourist, like it was my job. I just simply yeah. said, "I refuse." I said, "I refuse mm-hmm. to go see another castle, another whatever." I'm just going to be leisurely because you know that's how I roll. I like to just mm-hmm. roll through a city, maybe pick one thing to see. And then just kind of stroll, sit down, eat, look around, try to chat with people. That's as much as that's as low key as I wanted my travel to be most of the time. And we did that, took a break from each other, and then was able to come together again. Exactly. But yeah, I totally get it. It's like, whew, I was like, man, this feels like a task. <laughs> when it feels like work, then it's not vacation anymore. You know what I mean? I get it. I get it. Yep. All right, uh, let's jump into some topics. So I want to start with yours. Because I spend my life watching the ID channel, uh, the ID channel is doing a special on cults. And actually, it was really, it's interesting. Um, They did one on the Jonestown cult, which, by the way, I could totally see why people were compelled by the Jonestown message. Racial equity, racial harmony. I mean, it was, it had all the right notes. It had all the right notes. Then it took a turn. So I was, um, so I started thinking about cults really. And I started thinking to myself, first, the first question I had was cults seem to have reached their peak in the seventies. And I want to know why and why it went away. And then I also, also wonder, 
Can we imagine them coming back and compelling a large enough group of folks? We've seen the bad side enough now. That do we still think cults have the ability to rally large groups of people again? Could that really happen? And then I want to know why. Like, why do why do cults work? Why do they work? Preface by saying I really believe it is something in our psyche that leads us to cults, and so I feel like there will always have some resonance. But maybe I'm just, you know, maybe something will culturally shift and, and cults won't have their um, resonance anymore. But those are the things I was pondering as I was, I was, as I was three hours in an ID channel cult oh <laughs> fest. And so I just wanted to talk about it with you because I was like, you know, Chris, will, Chris has ideas about cults, I'm sure. I do. Your question is very large. Very, very. Put so much in there. It would take several dissertations to like focus in and unpack some of that. Sure. So I'll unpack um, the one you want. <laughs> I mean, so why are cults popular? Mm-hmm. I think starting with defining what a cult is, which is a really kind of slippery concept. Yeah. You know, so a, a cult is, it's like a group of people who are, I don't, I forget exactly what the, the, the actual definition is, but for the most part, it's someone it's under the sway of a particular individual or belief system or idea. That sounds so broad to me. That's mm-hmm. like like anything. But I was looking up some stuff and cults distinguish themselves in a couple of ways. Some cultologists, I don't know if that's a thing, but some of the things that I've read, some people that say that the difference between a cult and say like a religious movement or say like a social group like Alcoholics Anonymous is mm-hmm. that it's they aim to separate you from other people in your life, right? Mm. They try to isolate you from previous relationships. Also, they try to inculcate you into an identity that is about the group and not mm-hmm. necessarily about you as an individual. Or And it's, it's not an identity that you can carry outside of the cult. Does that make mm. sense? You know those, what? Are, is- those are the two definitions that I found that I liked because I, I felt like I can use those. Can I tell you what? I, I like this other definition because I think They've been playing with, because if you look up cults, they have this very general definition, which you would not want to, you would not like at all. I think it's mm-hmm. really horrible because basically the, the definition that is offered like generally is it's a religion whose beliefs differ from the majority around them. Hello. I don't know what that means. In essence, people, anyone who is outside of, you know what I mean? Any religion could be that. And your distinguishing feature is to make sure that you have in-group membership. That's the whole point of a religion, right? We're mm-hmm. doing something right, and th- those people are not. Every every single church I've ever been to, regardless of the church, that's the underlying theme and message is that we're on the right track, and the outside world is not. So that make that would make everything a, a cult. But what I think I think what I think is the most useful definition of cults is this notion that it's a religious group that is exclusive, secretive and authoritarian. Yes, the authoritarian piece seems to be important. I think so. And I think the secretive element too, right? Because I mean, if you think about other religious structures, are there really secrets to the Catholic Church? Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, what? listen, 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 you know what I mean? I don't mean the, I don't mean the hidden parts of it. I, I don't mean that. I meant you could, you could find Catholic texts <laughs> you can have mm-hmm. open dialogue about the tenets. You know, I mean, obviously, besides the people who read that weird popular fiction book that everybody was into, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think you can generally go into a church, 
listen to the message and feel like you are having access to what the people in that church believe. That's not generally the case with a cult. There's definitely I mean, a sort of but, secret and exclusivity element to cults. But it could be. Now, yeah. I, I think know that, that might be the defining feature of a cult is the is the exclusivity and the secretive and the, those three things to, together, right? It's people do not agree on like the signifying thing that makes a cult. You know, mm-hmm. and I I read a couple of things and it's all over the place. Some people say it's the authoritarian rule. Some people say it's the falling behind a single person. Some people mm-hmm. say that it's the exclusivity or the sort of the co-opting of identity or I, it could be a lot a lot of different things. I feel like I feel like it can be really confusing. However, we're not here to discuss Webster's dictionaries. We're here to to get to the question of what you're what you're interested in is like why do cults hold sway? Like why are cults popular? Or why have they been popular? And I think it's not that hard to figure out. I think human beings are hardwired for community. I feel that it just kind of makes sense, like a group of people coming together around usually an idealist endeavor or idea. Most people who join cults are idealists. Like they believe the world, they think of the world in very bold strokes, like the way things should. Also a lot of upper to middle class people fall into cults. I think it has to do with thinking, wanting the world to be a certain way and training a community around that. Now, you know, you follow someone who's charismatic who then turns that into, well, I get to stick (laughs) my stuff into anybody that I want at any age that I want. It takes a turn. I know a couple of months ago, Netflix had that documentary, Wild Wild Country, which I did not see, but it seems like everyone like really fell into sway of it. It was also another um, documentary called Holy Hell, Mm-hmm. which talks about another such charismatic cult leader. And as for Jonestown, I did a report on it in college, and it's the only, only thing that I turned in in college that I got a C on. And to this day, years <laughs> later, I'm mad about it because, honey, I went full Pelican Brief on that shit. I went to the library. I got microfiche. I was like, you know – I had my hair up in a bun, furiously typing into computers, and I got a C. It was devastating. So that's Aww. my experience with cults. It's extremely negative. <laughs> um, but what, what, what part of people falling into cults surprises you? I would think that's something yeah. you would you would understand. I understand it, but one of the things that struck me because it struck me because I was watching um, I was watching the Scientology movie Going okay. Clear, I believe, a couple years ago. And I remember there was a point in the movie where I think this man was being beaten. Like he was being beaten and he was letting it happen. Like he couldn't. And I I thought to myself, how does someone get to this place where another adult man is whipping your ass and telling you that you cannot leave a building of your own Uh, free will? Do you know what I mean? Fraternity initiation rituals. Exactly. So are fraternities cults? A little bit, maybe. But, well, well, let's not go there. I know. Ouch. No, but, you know, but then I started thinking about it. And I was like, you know what I realized? And this was such a, for me, it felt like a blow blow my hair back moment. And I was like, I, I think I have to really hold on to this. I was like, it's in us. It is that thing in us that seeks perfection that is exploited by a cult. Yes. And I was like, yes. you know what? If we if we made peace with our imperfectness, I think cults would hold less sway. 
I really do. Because I was thinking about the messaging that everyone kept saying, you know, everyone kept saying exactly what you said, which was, you know, I, I, I you know, they were feeling lost and alone and they wanted to make the world a better place. And then somebody said, this is how perfection happens. And when somebody offers you that, you are willing to go down a very dark hole for that perfection. And I was like, mm. but what if we weren't attracted by perfection? What if we didn't think that a perfect, wonderful paradise could exist? What if, what if we just said, you know what? We're flawed beings. Things are going to, bad things are going to happen. That's just how life is. How could, oh. how could, a, how could a cult leader then enthrall us? It, it would feel fairly. Yeah, but do you want to excise that just so we're less susceptible to cults? That doesn't feel like something I'm willing to give up. Actually, I find it actually really useful. I don't want to believe in the perfectibility of man. I really don't. I think that's a really, oh my God. I think it's a really slippery slope. Because first of all, the assumption is that you're not perfect now, right? And then the question then mm-hmm. becomes, what is perfect? And then, then you have to have some sort of external arbiter of what perfection is. What if you simply said, I am human. And as a human being, I am, go- I am flawed. At the base, I am flawed. Mistakes will be made. And then you get up, you make a mistake, you get up the next day and you try all over again. I think that is the antithesis of a cult. The promise of absolute of like perfection is the thing inside of us that that, that makes us open to cults. And I don't think that we need that. The perfection is what leads us to self-help or the gym or you know community groups or proposing legislation to make lives better for ourselves. Like, I don't, I don't know how you take that away. I don't think cults, cults are not so dangerous that I'm willing to give up the idea of a perfectible world. I didn't say the search for, for perfection um, needs to be given up. I say that you can improve upon yourself, but it's the belief in this magic bullet effort is, I actually think this notion that the search for what you've painted as the reason why we do many of the things. I don't believe in that connection because oftentimes I find that people who are perfectionists get very little done. They're frozen sometimes. Hello. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know about that perfection piece. I don't know how compelling and useful that is. I think you can look around and say things can get better yes. and improve on that and work on that and say, I'm going to get there. But that's actually not what a cult does. What a cult usually says, or what these charismatic or the poor ones do is say, perfection is possible now, follow me. And I just, I don't like, I don't, I think that messaging is off. I think because what it does is like, it really doesn't give you this in and out. It doesn't give you this performance-based thing where day to day you might mess up and then you get up and you try the next day. It really seems to be like an assault on effort, really, on some weird way. It's, I just, I don't know. I think, I'm, I mean, I'm gonna... I, I don't know. I feel like you're all over the place. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's rein this in. Cult leaders promise the same thing that politicians promise, that families promise. The idea life can be better. Perfection here is a chimera. Like, I don't, I don't know if perfection is necessarily what they're peddling as much as perfectibility, which is something that we all believe in. Perfection is not a real thing. Perfectibility is. Which so, is what? Perfectibility. What? The, perfect, the, um, perfectibility. Your, your life can be better. Our yeah. life together can be better. Better. Right. That's every politician. That's always their, their thing. 
you know. But it's the um, how. It's the how that's the distinguishing thing. Because so the how is yes, is, that's where it begins to diverge because yeah. it's like your life could be better. You know, first eschew everyone you were talking to before. The new goals are about the group and not about you. You know, that's important. You know, the structure is very isolating and hierarchical and you, you know, like all the things that you said before. Um, and that's what distinguishes a cult because at the end of the day, it's not really for the individual's purpose. It's for the group's purpose because whenever cults come up and when wild, wild country came up and everyone was talking about cults, all the questions got thrown around like, well, how is, isn't Catholicism a cult? Isn't Alcoholics Anonymous a cult? You know, the cheerleaders in my school are really clicky. Isn't that a cult? It's like, no, not necessarily because of those those defining factors when it comes to recruitment and forming an identity around around the beliefs of, of the quote-unquote group. Um, why are people susceptible to it was your question. And I'm going to just rest back. Like, I think I think people are susceptible to cults because it makes sense. It is, it's the wish for perfectibility. I think you're right because I always believe that things exist because it's an extension of some element in us, right? Of course. That's what it yeah. is. That, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think that's radical people. But I think the part of it to me that I'm pushing back on is the, I think it's the dream of perfection through one thing, through a silver bullet. So you're really zooming on the fact that someone's offering a single solution to a multitude of problems. Yes. And, and which is always a scary prospect. And so that's when I pause because someone comes to me and said, are you a little depressed? Does life feel hopeless? Da, 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 da. Here is the single answer. The single answer. I mean, but isn't that single? I mean, listen. No. I, I, as that, soon as you tell me that, I've, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Let me tell I'm you something. I've, I, I hear that pitch on subways all the time from those nicely dressed Jehovah Witness people, right? Jesus is the silver bullet. So it, it's got to be more than that. Because no. every religion tells you that. No, no, but see, no. See, this is the thing that I think distinguishes cults from um, an illegitimate thing, (laughs) like a cult from a religion. If you believe in the real message of Christianity, which I've spent many years in the church as a child, you were born perfect. You were born perfect already, right? Because Jesus died for you. You are all you need already. Now there are other 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 sects that talk about you know you need a conduit you need to go to this you need to do that but your birth your perfection already exists who you are already exists right mm-hmm. but I feel like the resonance of a cult is because it it's based on the foundation that there is some flaw in you that must be fixed and you must put, expend a ton of effort to do that. And then you offer this, you've, you've created a power source outside of you to help fix you, which then becomes this charismatic cult leader. So, at, so at, at eventually you cannot even disagree with this person. You must become one with this person. So much so that you're an extension of this person. So that when this, the Jonestown leader said, hey, you all, I mean, I was listening to the video as the parents, he was convincing the parents to give the Kool-Aid to the children. Mm-hmm. And wh- why was he able to, su- he was able to succeed in doing that because he told the parents, there's a, there's another side. There's a greatness on the other side. Hurry, send your kids there first, and then you'll be following quickly behind. And to just, co- I mean, to look at the footage of like 800, 900 people, 
all dead off of this one dude. One dude. I just, I was looking at it and I was like, and I was like, what? All I could say to myself, what is it in us that needs, that needed that messaging? Why wasn't it enough for somebody to say, you are okay as you are right now? The struggle is difficult, but keep trying, keep going. I I just say like this sort of thing isn't new or even novel. If this was a fancier podcast, here's where I'd insert a, here's where I'd insert a sound clip of a then nominee Donald Trump screaming, only I alone can fix it from the stage of the Republican National Convention. Nobody knows the system better than me. Which is why I alone can fix it. Like, this is something that we are really interested in. We're interested in authoritarian rule. Like, there's something about us. It's the big daddy thing. You know, it's just someone's going to come and fix our problems. Oh, thank God. I think we are really conflating a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of things like going into cults. But I, I think what's interesting in this conversation to me is just thinking about group process. Yeah. Like, sometimes group process goes well, mm-hmm. you know. Like, hey, let's form Meals on Wheels or something. And sometimes group process goes poorly. Like, hey, let's form like a super misogynistic group on Reddit and like dox women who, who no, but, no, bother you us. Know what, you, know, you know, like the, the group pro- the, the process of those groups I find is interesting because it's people coming together under for a purpose. You're right. You know what? Because V and I were talking, to, my sister and I were talking about it last night and it was hilarious because she's like, you know, we, we initially start talking about cults and then we go down this road and eventually she's like, oh my God, I guess I could be a cult leader because I believe there is just one way to get something done. Sure. I mean, I think right? we all do. We, it's a fantasy. It's the fantasy of getting things done. And this is, you know, it's it's the kind of idolatry that happens around political campaigns, right? Because it's like you, you look at the height of, yeah. you know, Frankly. right before Obama's election, the things that people were saying and the posters that people were putting up and the fights that people were getting into in the internet in real life. It's the same thing with Trump today, you know? Only I, I alone can fix it. You know, simple solutions for complicated problems. If only you do, you know, One if thing. only we allow these things to happen, you know? And then, you know, yeah, it's not necessarily giving your kids poisonous Kool-Aid, but like turning in your neighbors or, you know, allowing families to be ripped apart while you stay quiet and that sort of thing. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that Trumpism is a cult, but what I, but again, I'm interested in the group process by which people are moved to do certain things. Now, we all know the famous Stanford prison. Oh, yeah. uh, if you're a psychology student and you studied this in school, whereas by Milgram, Stan- right? Was it, was it Milgram? Yeah. Milgram's, oh, I don't know if it's Milgram, but the Stanford prison experiment was putting, they took some students and they made them prisoners, air yeah. quotes, and then they took other pris- uh, students, they made them guards. What they found was that the guards were becoming increasingly cruel to the mm-hmm. prisoners, even though they were all the same, just like 24 hours before. And it's some, there's something about that that I think is really in, like, inside of us. I think that's why authoritarian governments and authoritarian rule are gaining all sorts of press and are being applauded right now. There's something about that. There's something about it that's really appealing. I mean, look at poor Obama with his history of wanting to talk about complex issues in a complex way. No one had time for that shit. They were well, like, yeah, build a wall, 
send them home, lock her up. Oof, that's so much easier. It's just well, like that. Well, you know, I think you're, I think you hit the nail on the head though. I think, um, I think I got stuck on the perfection piece, mm-hmm. but I think what I think, I think what I've come around to is the idea of, um, is the, is the magic bullet. Because I think one of the things that my sister and I hit up on last night, we realized we were talking about it is that we just don't like dissension. It Conflict makes us really uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I guess now I have, because I used to have no time for somebody. I don't mean a devil's advocate, but I just had no time for somebody who was just going to toss a fire in the midst of a conversation. But Contrary I will, for the sake of it. Yeah. But I will say, though, that um, real spirited debate where there's um, a real fundamental difference of opinion, not just like, hey, um, Black people are animals, those kinds of opinions that are wacky and, 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 and useless, but like, I really fundamentally um, have a different opinion about how we can go about getting this thing done. Like, I, we want the same end result, but I really don't know if this is the right method. I think to be able to mm. continue to engage in real earnest dialogue with people who disagree with the way we can get something done, I think is really key. Because I think it's the idea that you have to just cut every every kind of potential dissension out of a conversation that leads us down this path that leads us Mm. to this idea that there's got to be a single way you know it's like listen i want to solve the homeless problem i think there's only one way to do it that's impossible it's too complicated a problem for there to be only one way right but i think part of people would disagree with you i know off the bat they would off the bat they would but see but this is where i think cult-like um elements um, intervene in situations, right? Because, and part of what it is, is that we don't want to attack a problem from multiple angles, right? We, we haven't set ourselves up in that way as a society, right? And I actually, one of the things I think that's useful is that I've been doing a little bit of research on sort of how um, people are trying to transform and work around problems. And one of the things that I think folks have been trying to do lately is to say, listen, why don't you take one piece of the problem and go deeply on it and let me take another piece? Because what's been happening, they feel, is that people are trying to attack a problem from the same angle all the time, wasting efforts, right? So, Mm -hmm. But I think it reminds me of your group process issue. Right. You cannot close out dissension. Right. Because that's the that's what happened in the Milgram experiment. The person did not feel that they could disagree with an authority figure, even as their student that they were administering the electric shock to was screaming in pain. They didn't feel comfortable saying, no, I cannot do this. And what is it Mm. that we imbue in in an authority figure? Truth. We imbue them with this power to know the only way. Right. But if we said to ourselves, what if there's another way and it doesn't matter what your status is? You feel free to say it when you see something is off. I think that that I think that experiment goes wrong, goes differently, right? Do you think it's about not taking responsibility? Like sort of like, oh, I don't have to think. I think there's <laughs> I, don't have to think I think about this. I think there's an element of that. I think there's an element of I can offlay my own responsibility to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I can offer the task, a very difficult task of managing my life to this one space, 
It's so mm-hmm. complicated. It's so complicated to live life, right? So many things are coming in all around, getting so many um, signals from left, right, center. How about if I just listen to one messenger? It's so nice. Then another tune comes in on the other side. And then that feels discordant. You're like, oh, shit. There's a- oh, and there's another tune? Because that's immediately what a cult leader does. It gets rid of dissension immediately in the ranks. There's they start elements, punishing you. There's, there's elements here to consider, given mm-hmm. that, with the way social media, the internet is, we can't deal with any sort of conflict whatsoever. And I think in some ways that swing in our culture may make us more susceptible to these sorts of groups and these sort of negative group processes. I mean, I don't love the word cult because I don't know what it means. I'm going to be really honest about that. And I, 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 I rooted around, I, I took a couple of classes on this when I was in school and even back then, I remember I just, there's not a real good Hitchens used to be a cult and mm-hmm. now they're a major religion. So yeah. I I feel like the definition changes from time to time, from speaker to speaker, um, mm-hmm. and from intent to intent. So I'm just going to stick with negative group processes. I think nowadays we're more susceptible to these negative group processes and falling to this way because now I, I just feel like our society is really set up to ignore dissension. You know, yeah. be, between the way algorithms work and the way that settings work on social media, you can effectively literally block out messages that you're not interested in and then throwing a dash of Fox news and just straight up lying about facts and the rest of it. It's, it makes a powder. I'm surprised every third person isn't in some sort of like negative group. Who's enacting a negative group process. I'm shocked by it. Or then again, maybe they are. I was said earlier that Trumpism isn't a cult, but I don't know. Is that I not mean, ne- a negative group process by which you you isolate yourself from people who think differently from you? Um, you eschew facts that run counter to what the uh, person in charge is saying, and you act in ways that you wouldn't necessarily act if left to your own devices. I realized that earlier we conflated two separate experiments. The Stanford prison experiment is in and of Milgram's experiment. Milgram mm-hmm. has to do with administering shocks to someone, yeah. an mm-hmm. actor, um, mm-hmm. administering higher shock someone because someone in authority told you to do it. Milgram was interested in this because I think it was post-World War II and his yeah. hypothesis was that Germans are evil. <laughs> I think Well, I think, you, well I think he was testing that. Yeah, I think he was testing that whole idea. <laughs> what he found out was that Germans aren't actually different from anybody else. Like he yeah. never got to stage two of the experiment because he, it proved right away that anyone would do it. Could and respond to an authority prison, figure, yeah. The Stanford prison experiment was about separating students into guards and prisoners mm-hmm. and watching how their interactions changed, yeah. even though like they were like playing, like how yeah. cruel. But both speak to this point that we're talking oh, about, power. which is that peer pressure, power, and authoritarianism like combine to make this weird thing that we're just really susceptible to. And I'm going to go back to what I said at the top of this. I think we're susceptible to it because I think we're hardwired for community. And sometimes it goes wrong, but I think we're hardwired for community. I don't think it's... I think I, I, I will think agree with that. Something we should avoid. No, I but I think there's a thing, there's another part of that, that as much as I think that we are hardwired for community, I think there's also a part of us that needs to fully own ourselves. What do you mean? I just remember looking at... I don't know. I remember looking and reading about cults and the things that I saw. And I said to myself, you know what? Never be so willing to find absolution in anything that you submit to an external person like this. You know, better to live with your own 
imperfections and your own fears and your own aggravations than to look to another person who says, let me take care of everything for you. Easy to say. It's very harder to do. But but I think the hard part of it is to live with the messiness of yourself. It was weird. I felt a real mental shift come over me that day because I was like, you know what? It's okay. Be be your messy self, but forgive yourself. And at at the same, be gentle with yourself. It's a real journey journey. because I feel like when I look at people, I thought to myself, I think those people were just looking to be gentle with themselves. And instead someone came along and was like, let me exploit this need in you to do good. And it was horrific. It's horrific. I feel like it's, it's a horrible betrayal. It's a real sting to watch. You know what? We did not end up where I thought we were going to end up. We didn't have the conversation I thought we were going to have, but this was really interesting. I'm going to walk away with what you just said. Our sort of underdrive to be more gentle with ourselves can be exploited with people who want to externalize that. Yep. It's hard to get away from your inner saboteur. And when, when you try and deal with your anxiety and someone offers you, like you said, a magic bullet, it can be really, really appealing when you feel like you're struggling. All that to say... Reach out to your friends. I'm in this moment right now where it's sort of like when bad things happen and bad things have definitely been happening, it's like it reinforces our need to reach out to each other and and help people avoid these sorts of these sorts of people who are gonna prey on you. Because there's always gonna be people who are gonna prey on us. Huh. Thanks for bringing this up. I really enjoyed this. You've given me a lot to think about today. Our humanity is what is exploited by a cult, and I don't want to betray that, but at the same time. I think yeah. we, I think our own need to be tender with ourselves is is really the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> Gener- generosity is a virtue and it starts with you. Like be, be everyone, be more generous with yourselves. God damn it. Great topic, Trish. Thanks. Thanks. It's fun. It was meandering, but it was, it like was cool anyway. And also contemporary, but strangely not about any one person, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't name check anybody or any group, although I, I did name check did. Trump a couple of times. <laughs> but I also yes. thought about it. There's a little bit of an Obamaism. Remember the dream oh, yeah, that absolutely. people had of Obama? That absolutely. was the part of it. Like I said, like political candidates are always the ones who get confronted with this whole thing. Anyway, all right. Yeah. yeah. Moving you. on. During Pride Month last month, I was walking down and I passed like a Freshen Company, which is like this salad place. Mm-hmm. And they were advertising like new for this month. A big gay salad. And it was like a <laughs> rainbow salad or something. And I remember looking at it being like, this is what we've come to. The gay liberation is about being able to proudly walk into Fresh and Company and order a big gay salad, which okay. has like rainbow bullshit in it or whatever. And it got me thinking about pink washing. Pink mm-hmm. washing during Pride for certain, where everyone can't, brands cannot wait to slap a fucking rainbow logo on something let you know that you are they are down with gay dollars i i mean gay people (laughs) Um, and it feels it can feel really exploited exploit oh shit now i have to cut this out it can feel really exploitate it can feel like you're being exploited okay and that sucks and it got me thinking about similar a similar thing that happened during women's history month Remember when McDonald's decided to, to show their support and appreciation for women that they were going to turn their iconic M arches upside down so it looks like a W? So they did that on a couple of stores and they did that on the side of fry cartons. 
And then Twitter also was like, we also appreciate women. They did some similar bullshit. And then critics jumped on them and was like, well, if you really appreciated women Twitter, maybe you would do something about women being harassed on your platform. And hey, McDonald's, maybe you'd pay women a, like a living wage at your restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the sort of thing like, look. What's your question? I This is my question. I like visibility. I like the fact that Wells Fargo is willing to be like, you know, we welcome gays. And I think that's a good message. However, when it is, is my problem that it seems so obviously pandering, does it just feels empty to me? Like when capitalism enters into this, can, is it still a value? Does it, the bank puts a rainbow on their logo during June? Does it matter that Nike wants to talk about like famous women in history during March? Or is that just a grab for dollars, just like everything else in the capitalist environment is a grab for dollars? Should we eschew that? Should we change it? Or is this just like, hey, let's take what we can get. Women are important. African-Americans are important. Gay people are important. You all have your month. Let the brands do what they can to make that more visible. What do you think? Ooh, this is such a, this is a, well, I guess the, the, the question to ask then is how important is the consumption market to the culture? Uh, extremely. Moving on. <laughs> what are no, you talking about? No, 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 no. Because the question becomes, the question for me is not so much about what a brand is willing to do, because a brand is willing to do whatever it's going to do to sell. That's that's its job, right? Mm-hmm. And so it it makes sense for it to do what it needs to do if it's a signature month. Is it, if it's a month to put on red things, then... Do red things to sell your brand. I think the question I have is what's happening during the other months? And do we get cultural signal besides buying behavior that the culture is moving in a particular direction? That's really what I want to know, right? Like, I don't care if you're buying rainbow salads during Pride Month. What is the signal that I'm getting in the culture that gay people are actually accepted? Because you can all, I mean, even at the height of, I'd say, Jim Crow, we probably were selling popular images of Black people, right? Hello, Aunt Jemima. Exactly. So we know that that conflict exists. Because I think the tendency is, the reason why I ask is I think the tendency is to assume that because something as is occupying the marketplace in a, um, and making money, that it necessarily means cultural penetration. Can you say more on that? Because I I feel like well, people it does. Say, that's my knee jerk to say like, well, doesn't it, it? Well, doesn't it? But that's I think that's my set. Well, your your initial thing was Aunt Jemima, but for me, think about it. Think about let's think about people who cons- let's think about Black culture for some reason, right? Black culture is for some it, reason, it, yeah, right. For some reason, <laughs> well, for this reason, because Black culture has been so consumable. Mm-hmm. Yet we are still experiencing inequality, still still experiencing police violence. Still, so you know what I mean? So the consumability doesn't really mean penetration of values that, that actually um, support Black people. So I think the same point can be made around gay people. I really do. I think we, people are very happy to consume pink-based products and continue to live and vote and do horrific things 
because... don't think we need to use them as signals. I really don't. I, I think it's nice to have the money, but it's not a signal of anything shifting in hear the culture. Me, hear me out. Let's take McDonald's, right? Sure. McDonald's for Pride Month had like rainbow colored fry things. And like I mentioned, the aforementioned W on their on their stuff for Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. This is a mega corporation that makes billions of dollars. They're doing it because they know they can get away with it. Like sure. I suspect that they've done the market research to be like, this won't hurt our brand. So no. in some ways, doesn't them them putting it out there to be consumed, doesn't that signal that we've reached a threshold in society where it will be acceptable? For instance, there's all sorts of things that they could endorse or celebrate that would definitely hurt them. Well, let me ask you this. Where are they selling those rainbow fries? That's the other question. You know, who knows if they're doing it in Peoria? Exactly. I don't know. That's yeah. the thing. So, yes, it's fine to sell it where it's going to buy, be bought. Sell it where it's sell it where it's problematic, and that's mm-hmm. that's when you're really taking a risk with your brand, right? That's a real risk. I think. I think of late. I think. Let me see. What's a brand that took a risky move, regardless of whether Disney? I always think it's amazing that Disney does gay days. Gay Days is sort of like a week-long celebration they have in their in Disney World where they invite gay people from all over and like the park is like, I don't know, it's just like somehow gayer. But mm-hmm. like every, they make these hats with like rainbow ears. Every year that it happens, I'm always like, wow, I can't believe Disney's doing this because it feels like such a risk because one, Disney World's not like a product that exists everywhere and they can yeah. just do it by region. Yeah. Disney World's like, it's a global destination for families yeah. There are definitely people who are turned off by gay days and it comes up every year on the internet. But Disney's like, well, fuck you. We're doing it. Come on down, LGBTQ people. So I feel like they take a risk. Yeah, because- I mean, I, I think that's yeah. I think that might be a legitimate risk. Like I think there are I think I think some of these risks aren't risks. I really don't. It depends on the marketplace you're doing. If you're doing it in New York, San Francisco, LA, those are not risks. It's so it's it valuable you to do it. So that's my I mean, question. I mean, is, should it, I, is it valuable to you as a gay person? That's the question. I, let me ask that. Is it, val- is it valuable to me individually, personally? Yeah, as a gay person. And then what is it when you talk amongst gay people? Does that feel... Because, you know, a, a, a place should feel welcoming. So maybe on a minimal level, it creates a sort of welcoming environment. So you don't feel like you're um, who you are, what how you who you love is under assault. But it also feels pandering of course you know it's like have you ever been have you ever been somewhere with a group of white people or majority white people and they see you coming and they find some way to work obama into the conversation yeah do you know what i mean like something like that oh i voted for obama both times and it's like i'm just trying to have a good time you know what i mean like (laughs) i i didn't ask you about all that on some level it doesn't matter you know and i'll tell you when i'm watching the pride parade in new york and like the Chipotle float comes by <laughs> and it's like some half naked guy riding a burrito. Like it's a bull, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, that's fun. Chipotle, you know, then like the Altoids float comes by with like all these really buff guys and glittery red speedos, like throwing Altoids at the crowd. Like, okay, I guess that's fun and cute. But then like, you know, it's just when the banks come by, like yeah. then the Wells Fargo float comes by <laughs> and then like, the Citibank, then like, you know, Avis comes by. And I was like, you know, I appreciate that you're open to marching in the parade, 
But it comes back to me like, well, what are you actually doing for the community? Like, thanks, Avis. Thanks for being, thanks for renting me a car as a gay person, but you'd have to do that anyway. So I'm not certain why you're here or why I should applaud you. That's how I feel individually. And that makes sense to me because listen, similarly, I think we have to, we, you know what it is? I think just like with people, we think we have to think about brands and companies the same way. What makes sense for a brand is one thing. How a brand operates every day is another. Mm-hmm. And so it's the sim- same thing if you encountered a person who goes above and beyond to be super nice and Obama loving. And then you know the next day at school, they're teachers and they're treating the black kids like shit. Yeah. So or they, sl- or they slip on their Blue Lives Matter t shirt. Exactly. So, you know, so for me, I I like to think of, I like to think of brands during moments like this as performing equity, performing equality, performing all of that stuff. We've all seen people perform, but I think what needs to happen is we need to actually identify and hold brands accountable. And actually some people do that. Some people actually do aggressive research about what brands policies are and what company policies, not just brands, because company and brand are separate, but what the company actually does to support communities mm-hmm. real in, in terms of real policy. And actually, I think if we did that kind of research, far fewer of those companies would be invited in those parades. What do you think about this? Levi's in 2017 had a Levi's Pride collection, and they supported 100% of the proceeds to the Harvey Milk Foundation and the Stonewall Community Foundation. That's a fundraising mechanism. It doesn't say anything about what Levi's as a company does, which is right. Very okay, different. I just thought that's very I thought different. No, I that's thought very I was different. being a particular way. I thought I was no, being like listen, whatever, listen. but I felt I just like well, what does that do? Like, okay, great, but Levi's, what I don't know. What do you do? But this is what you ask. This is where rubber meets the road, and actually, I think this is actually a amazing moment to talk about the thing that people are always saying about all the isms. That it's not about your individual action. It's about what is being done structurally to meaningfully make people's lives better. Like, I don't care. Like, that's one of the things that I remember when I was um, watching the movie about those um, four Black women during the NASA era. And, you know, people are like, oh, it was so nice that they were, it was so good that they could use the bathroom with each other and they could sit down to a meal. And someone said, that's not what those women were talking and fighting about. Those women wanted the opportunity to attend school. I don't care if you're nice to me. And that's the real thing we're asking right now is I don't care if you get on a float and shake your tail and throw out Altoids. If I come to your company, will I see gay-friendly policies Will there be gay people working out and proud? What are your actual policies? What's, what are you actually doing in the space that you control? Because what you're actually doing is performing publicly. But when I come into your house, how are you greeting me? How are you making me feel at home? You can ask that question. So we need to hold these brands accountable. Of course. And actually real organizations that are about real change do. And you've seen those juxtapositions, I think, in the gay rights movement, where some people take really strong lines and are like, keep your dollars if you're just about covering something up, right? 
you've always, I mean, I think in some ways that's what I've always, I mean, at least I've always received folks like ACT UP and folks like that as like, they push the envelope. They demand real structural changes and structural support. ACT UP is not fucking around. I'll tell you that much. Right. There's that element, right? Mm -hmm. I think you can ask that. You can look at that. There's, there's, There's a contrast between how a brand presents itself and what the actual company is doing. I think we have to, we have to demand that. Like, you're like, okay, you know, I get it, Enterprise Rent-A-Car. You want to have a rainbow car in the parade, but that's really super self-serving. Like, it's all the questions you ask. Like, like how many LGBT people do you have working there? Like, how many are on a management level? How do you treat trans people when they come to Rent-A-Car? Like, how do you demand that gender matches on the drivers? Like, how do, what are you doing for us here. You I know, think if I don't, we held more companies accountable in that way, we might actually be able to actually, we might be able to make real progress around things instead of cosmetic progress. Well, at the end of the day, you know, our favorite whipping boy in this show is capitalism. It's a harsh it's master, but it's also an, an easy one. At the end of the day, it just wants to make as much money as possible. So these companies are like, listen, gays, what they're in right now, great. Uh, well, uh, let's do some gay stuff. Hire some sexy dancers to, you know, whatever. Throw out honey nut checks to the crowd or whatever. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's it's just so simple because we're like, you know, and we're like honey nut checks. Like my favorite breakfast cereal. Now it's it's that simple. And I I don't know. I think we I think what we're talking more. about. Yes, what we're talking about is a real community mindedness that doesn't always exist. And it's harder for a brand to do. And so therefore harder for us to demand. Mm -hmm. And therefore means that we will not have that money. Right? Yeah. The visibility issue. In wrapping this up, though, I think on on the other hand, just knowing that these brands that, you know, like Sony or something is like, we welcome LGBT people. Isn't that valuable? No. Isn't that valuable? You don't nope. think so? No, you know not what? at all. Think, not at all. Do, do you know what? I think I have to say the 2016 election changed that for me. Oh, because I remember I remember lots of conversations saying that we were winning the cultural war. But guess what? We might have been winning the cultural war, which is the look and feel of something, but we were losing in the places that matter, which is government. Oh, that's extremely fair. Yeah. Do you know what that's I mean? Good. I mean, at the end, mm-hmm. and 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 that is the place where wins matter. Because Mm -hmm. that is the place where I can take you to court. That is the place Mm -hmm. where I can say the law says you cannot do this. I don't care what is on my TV screen. I don't care what drove down the street. I don't care what you put on an ad. What I now realize, and and I should have, is what I need to pay attention to and what we all need to pay attention is what does it say on the books? What can I lift Mm -hmm. up and bring and say you can't do this to me? Very few things. That's a really good point. Well, we've got a ways to go, I guess. I want to end this just by uh, talking about a commercial I saw. This was a couple of years ago. Axe Body Spray uh-huh. did a commercial. Um, not during Pride Month. But <laughs> it was a commercial just about like all why it's important for men to smell good, right? Mm-hmm. And you're out there doing your manly things all day long and you mm-hmm. want to present yourself the best. And so it was just like these clips, these video clips of like men like doing stuff like working on a car or running or going on a date. And one of the clips that just was just peppered in there was mm-hmm. like this black queer guy on stage at a ball, just voguing the house down. Right. Mm-hmm. It was just in there nestled with the rest of it. And I was like, this, this is visibility. 
right? Yep. It's just the normalization of this is mm-hmm. so much better than having an Axe body, a, a rainbow Axe body spray commercial, which only airs during June in certain markets. Yep. You know, I was like, this is where, if it's just about visibility, that's where we need to go yep. and not fucking, you know, making rainbow fries or whatever. Who gives a shit? Exactly. Uh, it's yeah. performative. We don't want performative. Nobody wants performative anything. Do you want performative love? Well, I'm going to love no. you on your birthday, but then fuck you the rest of the year. I yeah. mean, yeah. like, who's <laughs> up for that? <laughs> Nobody's up for that. Oh, shit. All right. <laughs> well, let's move on to media recommendations, which is something you've seen, heard, read, or experienced that you think other people should read, hear, see, or experience. Go first. Oh, thanks. Um, Sorry. So, uh, so I mean, I mentioned it at the outset of my podcast. I would recommend folks check out um, the ID Channel's series that they have going on cults. I mean, what makes it really good for me, I think, is it's actually not, it hasn't been that salacious. It's been getting the first person accounts from people who had been a part of cults and um, and to, to hear them tell their stories up close. Mm-hmm. I really, it's been really um, eye-opening, um, you know, to listen to their struggles, to talk about how they were able to leave. That's That's good. It's good to find people who've emerged out of a dark place. So yes, mm-hmm. the ID channel currently has a series of shows on various, very different cults. And so some I hadn't even heard of. My God, there's been a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I'd recommend that. Check out the ID channel's cult documentaries. They're one hour yeah. spots. Come for the cult documentaries. Stay for the endless reenactments of women escaping husbands who are trying to murder them. Well, yes. So. There is <laughs> That's basically what the ID channel is. Uh, I had a had a different recommendation planned up, but I read this article on Vice. It was called What White Girl Coming of Age Movies Don't Do for a Black Girl. Oh yeah, I saw that. Did I you didn't read, read this? it. I didn't read it, but I saw the um I saw it. By Zoe Zemudzi. Well, it, you know, she starts off talking about movies like Lady Bird and Juno mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and just how these movies are good in that they are all exactly alike. Yep. I found it fascinating how, and I say this all the time in this podcast, media can be really instructive. Mm-hmm. There was a line in her article which really caught me, and that's what got me to read the rest of it. She says, it was almost as if the characters were created to prepare me for a life of subordination to the narratives and life stories and yearnings and desires and humanities of white women. And yep. just how the difficulty of finding black women who are having struggles, just normal teenage struggles, without having to be contextualized by a white character, mm-hmm. how just difficult that is. And the, that erasure mm-hmm. is powerful and dangerous mm-hmm. and sad and regrettable. And mm. so I would recommend people just check it out. You know, and I recommend this around the time of the election, but please take the time to read articles about people who are not like you, written by people who are not like you. Just get a different point of view. It's you don't have to go out to a march. You don't have to. You don't have to confront your racist uncle at Thanksgiving. You know, you don't have to do any. Just really like dig in and educate yourself, and just think think about things on an angle, just from a take a different perspective. Uh, you'll be thankful for it. So uh, we can post a link to that article, or you can mm-hmm. search it out again. It's uh, it was on Vice, and it's what white girl coming of age movies don't do for a black girl by Zoe Zamudzi. And okay. that's it. 
this was a cool one. I like this. I like this podcast. I liked our topics. As always, I think that we were uh, smart and insightful uh, and wonderful. You know, I just in general, I give us high marks. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and therein begins the self-love. Yes, honey. Love yourself. I think that was that that was our low-key topic. Love yourself. I know I honey, I know you love yourself. I uh, do. Let's love ourselves. And everyone out there, get out there and love yourself. To quote RuPaul, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you gonna love anybody else? Hello? Yes. Can I get there it is. Uh, have a great day, my dear. And to everyone else, talk to you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.